Welcome to The Vital Point. I'm your host, Jonathan Schechter. If you are interested in transformational work, such as plant medicine, psychedelics, breath work, meditation, somatic practices, cold exposure, yoga, and more, then my friends, you are in the right place. Welcome to The Vital Point, the podcast that is for practitioners as well as people new to transformational work looking curiously for more information and guidance. So if you are new to this type of work, uh, welcome. I'm your host, Jonathan Schechter. I am an integration coach and breathwork facilitator. I've also been meditating for about 20 years and um, do some mindfulness instruction as well. So this podcast um, brings you leaders in the fields of transformational work, whether that's um, psychedelics and plant medicine work, breath work, or a myriad of other types of modalities. And my goal with this podcast is to not only introduce you to new modalities and practices, but help spark your curiosity to go out and actually practice them. So I hope you enjoy today's episode of the show. Everyone, on this episode of the podcast, I talk with Buddhist teacher Scott Tusa. Scott and I get into a bunch of excellent topics, including what he feels the vital point is to transformational practice in Buddhism, conduct versus the view, which is a very Buddhist-flavored uh, topic. He shares an excellent practice that you can do whenever you'd like. Um, to connect with your body and uh, feelings and just become mindful of the somatic sensations that you have. I definitely recommend checking that out. Scott also gets into his story, Buddhist view of somatics, and a couple of Buddhist topics of uh, mind training, which is also called Lojong, and a specific type of Buddhist meditation called Tonglen which is also known as giving and taking. So while we do get into some fairly heavy Buddhist stuff, I think that the information and the content that we talk about is applicable to anyone, not just uh, if you identify as a Buddhist. And if you have any specific questions about um, what Scott's talking about, definitely recommend that you reach out to him or myself where we'll be happy to um, talk more about that maybe put it into some different uh, language and context for you so there are links on the show page not only to scott's website but also his teacher's website um, since his he gives credit to his teacher for the, the practice that we uh, go through during the episode and i checked out the site. There's a lot of awesome information on there, including a free uh, mini course to help uh, get you into meditation and meditation with a very somatic um, body based kind of connection to it. So really enjoyed that. I'm going to check it out a little bit more myself. So hope you enjoy this episode. And as always, if you have any questions, please reach out. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Vital Point podcast. If you are interested in transformational practices, 
of all types, uh, breathwork, meditation, psychedelics, resilience, uh, mind training, then you are in the right place. And today I am very pleased to have a wonderful guest, Scott Tusa, who is a Buddhist uh, meditation teacher. He is located in the wonderful jungles of Colombia, as you can see uh, behind him there. I'm a little bit jealous, even though uh, I guess there's no, not as many mosquitoes in my house where I'm at. So Scott, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast today. Thanks so much. It's really great to be here. So it's interesting. Um, you know, when I started this podcast, I wanted it, it was called One Question Wednesday. And it was really just like, hey, let's talk about one question. And it was really like my way of, of getting my foot in the door. And as, as the podcast has gone on, I really wanted to have a little bit more room to, to go deeper with the guests and, and talk to them a little bit more in depth. And what I came up with, um, I am a huge fan of a particular Dzogchen Buddhist teaching called the three statements that strike the vital point. And what I, one of the things that I love about this, this teaching is I have a book that has not only the actual teaching itself, which is literally three lines, but there's a short commentary, a medium commentary, and a long commentary. And as somebody that's practiced Buddhism for a while, it's always something that fascinated me that, um, you know, the, these great, wonderful teachers that we're so blessed to have around us can expound and teach so much and so long, sometimes on like a single verse or a single, you know, sometimes a single line uh, of a teaching. And so that was where the, the, uh, the, you know, I came up with calling the podcast, the vital point. So um, just before we like sort of get into your background a little bit, when I say transformational practice, what would you consider the vital point to be? Like within a Buddhist context or just like general? Either. Yeah. Whatever comes to your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll speak from the Buddhist context because I tend to kind of pretty much focus on that exclusively, you know, those perspectives on meditation these days. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, in, in, in Buddhism, we, we often, one way to, as you probably know, one way to view this is through the, the three yanas and without going into like a long explanation of those yanas, you know, we, we can, we can transform via the Shravakyana, via sort of conduct and meditative awareness and and using practices uh, that that are that are deeply aligned with sort of saying in, in one way or another putting like a strong boundary like saying mm -hmm. okay um, i want to transform so i'm going to stop doing some behaviors that are um like uh, counterproductive to my transformation right yeah then in the same way uh in mahayana we we involve our uh a little bit more compassion a little bit more um, uh, of an altruistic view, uh, a view that we're not just seeking sort of awakening for ourselves; we're seeking awakening uh, um, for, our, for ourselves and all others. And and through that, we transform via like, you know, the Lojong teachings, mind training, etc., as well as um, uh, uh, through the teachings on, on emptiness or the view. And then in Vajrayana, I think, which is the most, uh, usually it's the most sexy for people <laughs> in the beginning, uh, but actually, when you really get it in the nuts and bolts of it, you see how challenging it really is because we actually try to see the nature, the essence of an emotion itself or a thought itself rather than, you know, seeking transformation somewhere else, like saying, oh, well, this is good. This is bad. 
and you know through pushing away the bad i'm going to find transformation in vajrayana we don't do that uh we we seek transformation by going through everything and seeing the wisdom nature of everything as we're you know going through that process so so you know to essentialize that um uh even though sorry for the long-windedness um the you know the transformation for me happens via seeing you know what is obstructing um our our view of reality as it is and so true transformation has to come from removing those obstructions removing the veils of what blocks um our true nature which is which is open which is you know fluid and so i think uh you know just to sum all that up i would say that awesome yeah that's a great answer it sounds like um a lot of being able to look within and have accountability for yourself. You know, you mentioned like sort of seeing seeing where you're at and what what it is that you're working with or maybe need to work on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I mean I think there's there's a sense of radical responsibility that has to come first, and I think that's very much like within the Shravakyana view, mm -hmm. and then from there, otherwise we're just fooling ourselves with trying to do some kind of non-dual practice or something like that. I love that you touch on that because that, 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 you know, within the Buddhist context that like really brings up something that I love, um, you know, from, from Guru Rinpoche, from Padmasambhava, where he said, you know, like, even though I have this view that's so expansive, like I have the, the Buddha nature and the Buddha mind completely realized that doesn't mean that I take my eye off the conduct, you know, I'm still paying attention to my conduct. Um, just like you said, like if, as if I was a beginner. So that, that's so yeah, important. Totally. And I think like within the West, like you said, the, the, the tantric path, the Vajrayana path is so sexy as you put it. And there's so <laughs> many people that are like sort of maybe skipping ahead because it's, it's so much more sexy with, without thinking about the foundations and the things that can really help ground that expansiveness in, you know, um, humanity and you know and ethics and and being a responsible a good uh person yes definitely yeah. um so how did how did you get involved in, in buddhism um I'll, I'll tell the short just as you talked about we have these commentaries that can be short medium long i'll tell the short version <laughs> right because I, I also have like depending on you know how deep you want to go but you're, you're welcome to ask me more questions if you want about it um yeah, I mean, um, the short version is basically, um, I, I kind of had a, a, a spiritual search journey. Mine started at age 16 when my mom passed away. And I went through, you know, three or four years of um, just really searching, checking out different things, reading different books. Maybe you can call it like a little bit of a new age soup, uh, uh, you know, but but you know eventually I got involved in, um, in actually African religion because I'm a musician and drummer and that sort of connected to me through the drumming mm -hmm. and um i was i was doing that uh getting you know going through that for a year or two and then i, I ended up um coming across a, a book by yogananda the autobiography of a yogi and this really triggered my my interest in eastern spirituality and pretty shortly after that um i found out about tibetan buddhism and it just you know i decided this is it and this is kind of there was just a karmic door that opened and um, yeah, and then I met my first uh, few teachers, a, a Geshe from Kam Tibet, and then uh, my one of my root teachers, Lama Zopar Shay, shortly after that. And this was all in Boston when I was going to music school. 
Wow. So the, yeah, when I was doing some research, you know, looking at your website and some of your writing, I, I came across your, your story and that really stuck out to me because I, I felt like I had um, some connection with you. Like I also felt like I came to Buddhism after the, the death of my grandmother. And that really kind mm. of like led me into um, being curious and, and wanting to practice. So I was like, oh, here's, here's my brother from another mother over here. <laughs> definitely, definitely. It's so yeah, interesting, like totally. how some of those adverse situations or challenges, you know, sorrows that we can have in our life can actually like end up opening the door to something much more large and more fulfilling in, in the, in the greater sense. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of us in the West meet the Dharma via a strong dissatisfaction with materialism and, or like a strong life experience, like a death like that, or some just strong shift, or sometimes the, the, we just read a book and then the karmic door kind of opens. But, but I agree with you. It's sort of like, I think, you know, you see it in the lives of Tibetan masters too, like Milarepa and, and, you know, Sarah Khandro and, and, you know, lots of other great practitioners where, you know, they, they had an episode that, that was, you know, we would call it like a trauma in, in our kind of cultural milieu in the West. And, and this triggered a deep renunciation to seek something more meaningful. Like what, what are we really doing here? What is really, what brings true meaning in life? You know? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a great segue into the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, there was, there was a post on your Instagram, um, uh, like a, from a, an article from the New York insight meditation center. And it was about like, um, sort of connecting with the body. And this mm. is something that like is of great interest to me because I, I think for the first, definitely like for the first half of my Buddhist practice, even though I was practicing mindfulness, um, I really didn't feel connected to my body as much as maybe like using sort of a, what, what in the West you would call like a top-down approach, right? Like uh, a mindset yeah. or like, um, you know, I, I guess I could say, I could describe it as like, I had um, an intellectual understanding of some of the teachings, but then as I kept continue to practice and make changes in my own life, some of my own like repressed trauma, traumatic energy and, and things in my body started to come up. And it was really difficult for me because I didn't feel like any of the mindfulness tools that I had were really addressing what was happening in the body. And so it's been something that I've continuously like tried to, to learn about and to open my mind to in terms of somatic practices, in terms of things within the West that we would call like more bottom up, right? More based in the body. So yeah. how, does, how does Buddhism really like look at that, like things, things that are within our body, the somatic type of, of, of events or you know, what you would say trauma that gets stuck when we're not able to, you know, really release it or complete it. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's, it's implicit, like with, within the teachings, I mean, you have direct teachings on it in the tradition within like the, let's say the four foundations of mindfulness. Uh, mm -hmm. The first foundation being mindfulness of, of body, the second feeling. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so that's not, that's explicit. Other than that, I think a lot of it is cultural and kind of embedded in the practices, trainings, views 
that one would progress through as a serious practitioner. Um, and so it's there, but it's a little bit implicit because those cultures were already embodied. And this is my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so what you have is Buddhism coming to the West, like, as you said, myself too, like your, I see your story in mine as well, which is you know, very much a top-down person, very much like analytical, rational, and, you know, cut off from my emotions to a certain degree and, and cut off from my body to a certain degree. Um, and personally, it wasn't, it wasn't until I had one of my lamas, uh, Sony Rinpoche, who like directly just pointed that out to me and then gave me permission, you know, t- meaning like I didn't need his permission, but I felt I needed the permission. I was very like into a very traditional form of Buddhism at that time in my life. And um, I felt like I needed his permission to, to incorporate other practices. And, and, um, and luckily um, I met him and he was able to ha- really help me to move through some of those bypasses, uh, mm. you know, some of the bypass of a top-down approach. But getting back to kind of like uh, my point, which is I think in the West, it mainly happens through the interpretation of being a, a, a top-down culture, not everywhere, but generally like, like the, you know, within intellectual culture and within like sort of where, where we tend to meet Buddhism in the West, um, where it mixes with psychology and all that. And so I think um, it, it's in it's implicit. It just doesn't come out because people interpret the teachings how through their own system and their own thought process, right? And then they and then they don't see what's happening happening. I think in Tibetan Buddhism, it's tricky because the somatic practices really come in the Vajrayana tradition, and they come once you've gone through some preliminaries. And so a lot of people don't get to that, you know. Right. I what what what's come up for me like without a sort of a buddhist context but like within a somatic context you know they say like have awareness of it first and then let it be there let it be in the body just observe it and then let it go and where i was at you know a few years ago was like okay just let it go you know and and then just sitting there waiting (laughs) for it to let it go without actually like experiencing it letting it sit in my body and feel it it was just trying to sort of skip ahead and feeling really frustrated of like why why isn't it going you know like uh, all my other thoughts can i can see them come up and then they go you know and th- this these body <laughs> sensations just aren't doing that um what really helped me you know i had i had shoulder surgery um a few months ago and what really helped me was um listening to these uh vipassana meditations from shinzen young that were specifically like mm-hmm. specifically asking you to focus on discomfort and physical pain in the body and then just observing like the the mental stories that came up alongside the physical pain and you know what i found was like really sitting with that letting it be there it created a little bit of space and i could see like how much of the pain that i was in had nothing to do with the actual physical feeling that i had it was so much more with like the story that my mind was making up the fear that I had, that it wasn't going to ever go away and things like that. But yeah, totally. it's, def- it's definitely been a process. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, our, our, I mean, I think it's a whole different for me, it's been a whole different way to understand my experience life and yeah, just my experience because the, the mind is very fast. And we're very used to that level of expectation, you know, and, and I'm used to that as well and of like, okay, well, 
well, I understand this. Sorry, there's ants crawling on my head. Um, <laughs> hopefully I'm not on an ant hill here. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so it's kind of this level of expectation. Okay, I just read that. Oh, I, I, I cognitively get that. Okay, I should, I should be there. But actually, the mind understands very fast, but the body is very slow. Um, and so that's what I've found over, you know, you know, really wasn't, it was about 10 or 12 years ago that I started taking somatic practices more seriously and incorporating them into, into my daily practice and, and retreats and, um, and teaching, of course, eventually. But um, yeah, I, what I, I've just noticed, we, should, we just have to be really patient. It's the body is very slow. It, it, it does not go on our timeline. You know, and, and, and there's so much beauty and magic that comes out of the experience of just allowing oneself to feel, let be with the experience, as you said, and let that unfold. Um, but, you know, for most of us, that takes some preliminary tools, too. That takes, you know, some help because, um, you know, for a lot of us, just the body is really uncomfortable place. Not, not even talking physical pain, just emotional, right. energetic, you know. So when you say preliminary tools, what, can you expand on that a little bit, just for maybe people that aren't as familiar with Buddhism as you and I? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm just talking like somatic preliminary here. Oh, okay. and, and yeah, what I mean by that, yeah, what I mean by that is like, for instance, uh, with, within the, my teacher, Sonar Yamshe, he, he teaches a, a combination of practices he calls dropping and handshaking. And um, the dropping is kind of the preliminary for the handshaking, just learning to drop into the body and feel, essentially. Learning to kind of like take our backpack off after a long walk. We don't have to carry all of our things. We can drop the, the mental kind of thinking and, and feel the body. So that's easier said than done, um, obviously. So the purpose is not to drop everything. The purpose is to practice that. Mm. And, then, and then handshaking is, is kind of the, the next technique where we're, we're learning to meet um, the experience in the feeling world um, with, with non-judgment. And, and, and there's some sort of attitudes or, or you could say mind trainings we take up in order to do that. Um, so, so that's one preliminary is the dropping practice. But I would say for some people, the preliminary is working with a somatic therapist or, or doing some, some other work. Because, you know, if, if, you know, if, if there's, there's a lot of trauma in the body, we might just have trouble feeling uh, like at all. I'm not saying numbness is one thing to go through, but I mean, just like um, we might not know how to orient to, to the body without re-triggering the trauma. And that's where it's really helpful, obviously, to have, you know, help a therapist, someone to work with. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, would the would the dropping be something that maybe you could take people through? Like, is it is it how long is it? Is it something maybe we could go through together? Yeah, we could do dropping and handshaking a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and really just, just to give some con. Yeah. Go ahead. No, sorry. <laughs> uh, just to give no, it's okay. Give some context. Uh, if people want to go deeper into it, so uh, the, the source is really uh, my my root teacher, uh, Sonia Rumshe, and people can go to um, fullybeing.org, and he has actually like like you know online courses. Some are actually free. And, and I would recommend people do that. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a spokesman for that. You know, I'm just a student of his who have learned these practices in my practice. And I, I, I work with them myself and also work with them with my students um, and people who work with me one-to-one. 
but uh, I just recommend that because he's the source. But I'm happy to lead something, and then if people want to go deeper, they can go there. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Um, one thing I did want to say that I forgot is, um, as you were talking, was um, uh, you know, one good thing that's happening now is there's a lot of recognition coming into the meditate, like the meditative culture in the West, uh, not just Buddhist, but all over the place, how much we need somatic work. And, um, and it's become kind of a buzzword and kind of popular, as I'm sure you've noticed, you know, in the yeah. last few years. Right. And, um, and, and I think that's really wonderful, because um, it's, it's starting to rebalance some of those some of those imbalances. And so hopefully, you know, just gives people more tools to heal. And then if they want to enter the path of liberation, then to use that a grounded body to work with, you know, more, more um, challenging things like emptiness or things like that or growing bodhicitta. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And you also mentioned, um, you mentioned Lojong uh, mind training. So I, I wondered if you could just maybe explain that a little bit more um, for the sort of the, the context of it, because it's something that's been very powerful in my life. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, for me, like the context is really within, you know, the, the Kadampa teachings, you know, coming from, they don't actually exist anymore, meaning the lineage, the, the Kadampa actually became a Galukpa later, and then all the lineages, uh, Kagyu, Nima, Sakya, um, kind of incorporated the, the Lojong. And basically, I think Lojong has three different levels. Uh, you know, uh, it, as you said, it, we translate it as mind training. Um, Lojong generally has a level of, of training and equanimity. So we're training in some kind of cognitive process using, where we're kind of changing the tape. I think of it that way, where it's like, normally our tape is like me, 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 little gap, me, me, me more. Oh, what about me? <laughs> like, like that's, pretty, like, that's pretty much how the tape plays. So we start to play a different tape by thinking about equanimity, uh, equalizing ourselves with others, thinking, okay, well, well, this guy also wants to eat delicious food or wants to have, you know, a nice house or whatever it is. So we start to do that. That's the first step. And then after we were proficient in that, this, the, really the second step of Lojong is, is to um, start to exchange uh, uh, oneself with others. So you're kind of like first you're you're equalizing, then you're exchanging and you're recognizing this is, comes through the through the practice of Tonglen, through giving and taking. Um, but the 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 path is really to reduce our own self-cherishing. The path is to see, oh, the more self-centered cherishing I, fo I focus on, actually the more unhappy I get. And not only that, um, I'm I'm not able to benefit others. You know, there's there's just a huge gap in that. And then from there, we actually make others more important than oneself. But I think, you know, that step has to come based on the previous two. So for me, Lojong is framed in that. And then if any kind of cognitive, you know, changing the way we're thinking, practice, training in different attitudes, right? I think of it yeah. that way. I, I don't know. How do you think of it? That's, that's how I've kind of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I definitely think like the, the, the different slogans and different things like that, um, uh, different trainings are very accessible um, for me. Like it's always, there's always been like a, a pretty strong parallel between some of those different um, teachings and like the stoic kind of philosophy mm, of yeah. like, you know, being able to, like you said, change, change our perspective and take a, a different view rather than something that's so 
self-centered and so focused on on the me like you said and then and then yeah you you explained it beautifully like opening up into this wonderful practice of, of tonglen which is a meditation where you're exchanging yourself for others um you know and and, and it, it's a beautiful step practice obviously we're like summing it up here but you know you kind of start <laughs> by um, thinking about somebody that you love uh, somebody that you care for deeply and like really focusing on them and their happiness and, and exchanging, like taking, taking the, the negativity that they might have and, and, and giving the happiness and the peace that you have inside of them. And then you can kind of progress to somebody that you feel neutral about, you know, maybe somebody that you pass on the street, you know, you're not their friend, you're not their enemy, um, but they're just neutral and extending that same practice. And then like finally being able to take the people for which you have difficulty with, right? Like the, the, I don't want to say, I hope nobody has enemies, but you know, the people that you might have trouble um, showing love and, and affection and compassion to, and being able to extend that same love um, that you would for a for somebody that you really care about. So yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a step practice, but it's a, it's a very beautiful one. And um, one that really helped me to, open my heart. Um, and, mm. you know, um, I think the, the purpose of all of it, right, is to, to, to stop caring about yourself so much at the expense of others. Like you said, the tape that's usually playing is just all about me. And <laughs> enough about me. Let's talk more yeah. about <laughs> me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, and, and I think, you know, first within the, the Buddhist context, we come to a conclusion that that's actually causing suffering for us. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes Tonglen is taught outside of that context. And I don't know if it ends up in the same, with the same result, which is like, we actually have to see the, the, our preoccupation with self, with our, with ourself. It's not like we're denying ourselves either. Uh, it's just that we're recognizing that preoccupation actually is causing suffering. And th that can take some just preliminary work in and of, in and of itself, um, right. obviously. And then, and then we want to see that, that self actually, doesn't exist in the way it appears. And so Lojong actually then points to that, which we would call ultimate Bodhicitta. Yeah, I, that's such an important point. And, you know, especially within the, the sort of the realm of transformational practice, you know, even outside, bigger than Buddhism, but just in general, there's so many people, you know, including myself, and I'm, I'm guessing you as well, you know, because of the transformations that we've had and experienced, it ultimately like opens you up into wanting to be of service and wanting to help other people. You know, it's not something like, well, great. I, I found this and this helped me. So now I'm just going to keep it to myself like a treasure, you know, it like opens your heart and you're like, wow, everybody else wants these same things that I was searching for, you know, and, mm -hmm. and if there's something that I can do to, to help, um, by all means, my, I'm, I'm here, you know, I want to, I want to, to share that with, with others. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome. Um, so yeah, do you think before we wrapped up, we could do a little bit of that, uh, dropping practice? Yeah. How, uh, how long do we have? Um, I mean, five, 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, um, everybody out in wherever you're listening land, like Instagram, YouTube, all the things. 
go ahead and find a seat that is um, comfortable for you, but where you can be um, upright, uh, but relaxed. And just take a moment to do that and just to come into the body in a comfortable way. So that means doing a little bit of stretching, rolling the shoulders back and forth. Go ahead and do that. And we're just kind of coming in to the practice without expectations. I don't know how this is going to go. Maybe I'm a little afraid. Maybe I'm a little confused. See if you can invite those as well. And obviously, we have the intention. We want to better ourselves. But we can also cultivate the intention that through bettering ourselves, as, as we've been talking about, transforming ourselves, may we become a light for others. We can include that in the intention. And so there's a few ways to engage this practice. The full way is a little bit more vigorous. Uh, we're going to do kind of like in between. So if you want to close your eyes, we're going to just kind of release and breathe out. So when you release your hands down, you can do it in any kind of way you'd like, but we're going to pick our hands up, pick, pick up our hands. And then on three, when I count, we'll drop and we'll breathe out like, like this. And then I'll guide it from there. And when you breathe out, when you drop, just drop into the body, and then I'll guide it. So together on three. <laughs> One, two, three. <sighs> just drop into the body. Drop into your abdomen, your feet, your legs, whatever is accessible to you right now and neutral. We drop and meet the body and just feel. Relax into the body, but don't try to relax. Just allow relaxation to happen naturally through meeting somewhere neutral in the body, the feet, the legs, the hands. If the core of your body is more neutral, you could go ahead and meet that, but this is often where a lot of our emotional content arises. So maybe if this is your first time, I recommend going somewhere else. The seat is a great place too, just the feeling of the weight of your body in the seat. And the breath just comes natural, slow, at ease. And we just simply rest in the body. What this means is let the awareness connect with the feeling world within the body movement of physical space, the movement of emotions, the movement of moods, the movement of energies in the body. And see if you can just allow, allow what wants to arise to arise. We're training in just letting be with the body. So letting be doesn't mean we push the experience of the body away and let be somewhere in a peaceful, happy place. Letting be actually means with whatever experience is arising. But again, for beginners to this kind of thing, maybe don't work with the strongest emotion or energy in the body right away. It could also be a sense of tension in the body. Maybe don't work with that right away. 
work with somewhere neutral, drop neutral and drop into somewhere neutral and just feel, just be. It doesn't have to be exciting. It doesn't have to be juicy, just as it is. And we meet that, feel that, and let our awareness connect with that, basically pay attention to that. But allow it to move and flow. So we'll drop one more time and then we'll introduce a little bit of the handshaking if you're working with something uncomfortable, if that's what's coming up for you right now. So on three, we'll drop again. One, two, three. Just drop into the body and meet your experience with awareness. No agenda. Drop the thinking mind into the body and feel. But we're preserving this aware quality of the mind that can bear witness. They're bearing witness with the mind, but not the commentator, judger of the mind. Just allowing the judger to take a break. And if the judger doesn't want to take a break, whatever. Just ignore it gently. We're not making the judger an enemy either. We're just meeting the feeling and just giving preference to that for the moment. And so this is the handshake, the awareness meeting the feeling in the body. The dropping simply just facilitates that. And depending on what we meet, we may need to apply four attitudes that help us to meet the experience with truly letting be. Letting be is defined by awareness, meaning the feeling, without controlling, manipulating, overthinking, rationalizing, or trying to fix the experience. If it's uncomfortable, especially. We're also not suppressing it. We're not running away from it. And we're not becoming it. We're not sort of personalizing that experience. Awareness is bearing witness, and the body feels. So can, we can remember these attitudes from time to time. Mainly, don't manipulate, don't try to control it. And this is challenging, so we might have to dip our toe in the water a little bit and come back to a neutral place. That's why it's important to find a neutral place in the body. Again, often the feet or the fingers are pretty neutral for most people. And if that's not neutral, find your neutral place. And we just let be. And we can start to move towards something that's a little bit more activated in the body. And just allow. Drop the judger, the concept that judges it as good or bad. It's just a part of you that also needs to be felt. That needs your attention. But instead of giving it the attention of thinking and ruminating in thought, producing more of the story, and just drop and feel and let be. And so you can really 
let be with whatever's arising for as long as you want to. There's no rule here. But of course, giving yourself a certain amount of time to train in this can be really helpful. Formally, when it's quiet and you start to bring it into life when you're activated in the moment. Instead of going out there into the object or into your thoughts, you drop into the bottom, be with the feeling. Try to work with the resistance to the feeling. So this is a training that takes time. You're saying the body is slow. It changes slowly, meaning the internal energy body. So we're willing to wait. And that's the compassion, a sense of willing to wait, to allow, and to not judge the experience immediately. Give it some space and time. So dedicating just this short practice to our continued transformation, the benefit of all of us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Scott. That was wonderful. Such a nice break there. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> ah. Well, yeah. So thank you, Scott, for being a, a guest on The Vital Point. And, you know, before we wrap up, um, where can people learn more about you if they want to work with you or uh, find out about your, I know you, you write and you offer some, you have some offerings as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. The easiest way is just to go to my website. Uh, it's just my name, scotttusa.com. And there's three T's there, two T's with the Scott, one with my last name, Tusa. And yeah. And then there's um, podcasts, like, like you said, writings. Um, there's also uh, people can reach out for one-to-one -one mentoring. Um, that's one way I, I offer, you know, service. Um and and then like i said yeah i do help people with these kinds of practices as well as just general buddhism but also um uh like i said people if they want to go deeper into what i just shared if that kind of sparks something in you check out fullybeing.org which is my teacher sonia mshay and uh really he's the he's the source of this and uh yeah that particular we'll, practice we'll make sure to put that on the uh the show page the link for that as well to uh, cool. give full credit <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's really important. Uh, uh, how to put it like, uh, you know, I, I, I do things from within a perspective of lineage. So it's important like to, I don't know. I don't have the right phrase. You know, they, sometimes they say punch up. I say like, like pass up you know, uh, to our llamas and, yeah. and, and teachers, you know, <laughs> I, I can definitely relate to that. Uh, when I first kind of started coming into this space, my, my partner was like, well, you know, you can, teach people meditation and, and breath work like you've been practicing for so long and I said like no like you don't understand like the the people that taught me even though they're buddhas like they pretend like they're just you know these old men like so the the humility yeah. is is so key you know and the respect and the like you said of the lineage so it took me a while <laughs> to actually feel comfortable with even stepping into that role um, so I appreciate yeah. you mentioning that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, and thanks so much for having me on. It's really, really nice to talk with you. Yeah. The pleasure, pleasure is all mine. And I hope everybody out there really enjoyed, um, your, your wisdom and, and the practice as well. Yeah. Thanks everyone. So, awesome. I hope we can do it again sometime, Scott. 
And for everybody Anytime. listening, yeah. for everybody listening, uh, yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this uh, really sparked your curiosity to take your meditation practice or, um, you know, perhaps be curious about learning something new. Um, and definitely check out um, Scott's uh, offerings and, and his website. He's got a lot of great writing on there. And, and like you mentioned, a, a podcast of his own. So um, he has a lot of excellent teachings out there to share. So I hope you check them out. Thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Uh, we'll see you next time on The Vital Point. Thanks for checking out another episode of the podcast. I hope that you not only enjoyed it, but that you feel inspired to go and do some practice of your own, you know, whether that is something that is a part of your regular routine, like meditation or breath work, or trying something new, like uh, taking an ice bath or starting a new mindset practice. Maybe you feel curious to something that you've been called to try, you know, working with a new teacher, a new facilitator, or maybe even working with uh, psychedelics or plant medicine in whatever way is safe and legal for you where you live. My hope is that you are you know, curious and continue to expand your transformational practice and that this podcast inspires you to continue doing that. As always, if you can follow or subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on, it definitely helps. And if you can leave a review, even just a few reviews really help to push the podcast up in the algorithm and help make it more visible to more people. I'd love it if you shared it with your friends, if you're finding it valuable or interesting. As always, follow me at Blue Magic Alchemy on Instagram, all one word. And if you're interested in learning more about breathwork or you'd like support integrating or preparing for self-development transformational practice, reach out to me at bluemagicalchemy at gmail.com or at Instagram to set up a discovery call for Instagram coaching. Until next time, thank you, be well, and keep practicing. That's the vital point.